Good morning, everybody. Welcome. I'm Pastor Bruce from LifeBridge Church, and uh, man, thank you again for joining us today online as we bridge the gap while we're unable to gather together in person for Sunday worship. For those who are watching for the very first time, thanks for joining us online. And if you're watching this morning and you're not part of a of a life of our LifeBridge Church family, man, we welcome you. Uh, as you tune in and watch this morning to our live broadcast of our worship service. Uh, I trust you are doing well and you're surviving the second week of our city stay-at-home order. And uh, church, I just want you to know that I love you guys, I miss you, and man, I, I can't wait till we can gather again in person and worship as, as a church family, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Until then, though, I'm so thankful that, that we can still proclaim uh, the truth of God's Word and the hope of Jesus Christ at a time when it is needed most. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, uh, get situated as we discovered, discover what happened the day Jesus died. I tell you what, let's go to the Lord in prayer just for a few minutes here and ask God to to meet with us in a mighty, special way here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your goodness and grace through Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word and the truth that it contains. We thank you for the hope of Jesus through his death and resurrection. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask that you would clear away the distractions and help us to focus on what's most important at this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, today is Palm Sunday. In fact, this is the one day the crowds actually got it right when it came to Jesus Christ. As Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem, the people cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so the crowds are are holding palm branches in their hands and, and they are singing the praises of our Savior. But this kind of response is rare, and it certainly doesn't last long. In fact, in just a few days, the crowd will will turn on Jesus as they shout to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. And so in an act of cowardice, Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified on a cross. But we know from the rest of Scripture that, that the cross is all part of God's plan to save us from our sins. Now, as we continue this morning in our series, The Passion of Christ, Matthew continues to focus on the cross of Christ. And as terrible as the crucifixion was, as painful as it was, and shameful as it was, Matthew again wants us to gaze upon the cross of Christ. And so I want to invite you, grab your Bibles and let's turn together in the book of Matthew for our scripture reading. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to read together here verses 45 and 61. And so I invite you to turn there and follow along in your own Bibles uh, as we read the truth of God's Word here as Matthew records it for us in Matthew 27 verses 45 through 61. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli. Lama Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing this said, this man is calling Elijah. 
And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. But there were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now, I got to admit, as you read this passage of Scripture, it is one of the most bizarre and unusual passages of Scripture in all of God's Word. I mean, think about it. You've got darkness covering the earth in the middle of the day. You have the temple curtain tearing in two. You have the earth shaking and rock splitting. And most bizarre of all, we see tombs opening up and bodies raising from the dead. And so what is going on here? Well, what's going on is Jesus died on the cross, and that changes everything. In fact, that brings us to one all-important question that I want us to answer this morning. And that is this question, simply this. What happened the day Jesus died on the cross? And here's the answer we're going to see in this passage of Scripture. Jesus was cut off so that we could be brought in. Jesus was cut off so that we could be brought in. That's what's taking place when Jesus died on the cross. In other words, we're going to see that Jesus was separated from God the Father so that you and I could be reconciled to God the Father. Now, before we move on, let me just say that in our curiosity, we want to focus, though, on all these bizarre supernatural events. But in doing so... It's easy to lose sight of the far greater work that was accomplished on the cross for you and for me. Yes, these these supernatural events capture our imagination. But listen to me, God wants to change our hearts through these things. He's showing us his purpose through Jesus Christ. He wants to save us from our sin. He wants to reconcile us to himself in these supernatural events point us to the power of the cross. Listen, Jesus was cut off so that we could be brought in. Notice number one here. Jesus was separated from God the Father. 
Jesus was separated from God the Father the day Jesus died on the cross. Once again, Matthew wants us to see what's happening on the cross. And that's what Matthew has been doing in this whole series on the passion. He wants us to see the suffering and passion of Jesus Christ. And now as we come to the cross, Matthew is once again showing us what Jesus says on the cross. And he's showing us God's supernatural signs before and after Jesus' death. Now, if you're making up a religion, you certainly don't have your hero dying the way Jesus dies in saying the things that Jesus says. On the cross, Jesus experiences the blackest despair imaginable as the Father turns His face away from His Son. We see this separation through one supernatural sign and two cries from Jesus Himself. Notice this. The earth was was covered in darkness. After Jesus has been on the cross for some time Matthew now tells us in verse 45 look at it again with me he says now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour now the sixth hour that's high noon and so the earth was covered in darkness if you can imagine this from noon to 3 p.m. which was the brightest part of the day however for three hours it says the sun hides its face Why? What's going on here? Well, this supernatural darkness, and through it, God is doing something here. He is making a public statement about divine judgment upon His Son. You see, darkness, especially in the Old Testament, was a sign of God's judgment. You may remember uh, the the plagues on Egypt, and the ninth plague in particular, It was pitch darkness for three days. And according to Exodus 10.21, it was a darkness that could be felt. Now, the closest I've ever come to that, and perhaps you can identify, if you've been to Silver Dollar City, at the entrance there, there is a cave called Marvel Cave that you can go into. Or maybe you've been inside another cave. Anyways, when you go into Marvel Cave, you go into the belly of it. And, and you come to the, the uh, bottom of that cave, and then they have everybody stop, and they do what? They turn out the lights. And they, when they turn out the lights, let me tell you, it is pitch black. Darkness. Darkness that you could feel. You put your hand up in front of your face. You can't even see anything. That's the kind of darkness that covers. Darkness is also prophesied as a feature of the coming judgment day in Amos chapter 8, verse 9, where it says, On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And in the New Testament, one of the images most often used for hell is darkness. And so this darkness is a sign of the foreboding judgment of God on sin, which Jesus bore for us on the cross. Listen, the sinless Son of God is about to absorb the fullness of God's wrath for sin. So no wonder darkness falls over all the land. This is a dark moment of divine judgment. As D.A. Carson writes, It has to be understood as a judgment on Jesus. For out of this darkness comes his cry of desolation. 
the cosmic blackness hints at the deep judgment that was taking place. And so darkness is the first supernatural sign that we see here on the day Jesus died. In fact, now the world's outer darkness corresponds to Jesus' inner darkness. When, number two, we see God withdrawing his presence from his son Jesus. Now, if Jesus was enduring God's judgment on sin, then it certainly explains why he cried out with a loud voice in verse 46, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, because the word for Eli, I mean the word for God, Eli, sounds similar in Aramaic to the word for Elijah, Some people who were there at the cross thought Jesus was actually crying out for that great prophet. But they are mistaken. And they missed the whole point of the moment. After three hours of darkness, the the light of the world, Jesus Christ, opens his mouth. But unlike that moment at creation of the world where Jesus says, let there be light. Here, now on the cross, his voice joins the darkness as he echoes the cry of David in Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why did Jesus cry out the first sentence of Psalm 22? Why a question? Why not an affirmation? I mean, wouldn't something like God loves you all be more soothing Or wouldn't let there be peace on earth be more easier to comprehend, less melodramatic? So why such a dark cry at such a dark hour? Well, I think, first of all, the cry certainly fits the setting of the situation. But more importantly, Jesus' cry here on the cross provides us with his own theology of the cross, when he utters that word forsaken. You see, this word forsaken can be translated as abandoned. It means to leave behind or to desert. And in this moment on the cross, Jesus feels the departing presence of his Father. Now, did God really forsake his Son on the cross? And if so... What was the nature and purpose of this God-forsakenness? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. Matthew doesn't go into that. And so there is an element here where we have to acknowledge a level of mystery. Matthew, though, is doing something else. Instead of explaining all this to us, he is showing us the ramifications or the consequences of what happened on the cross when Jesus bore our sin. You see, Jesus' faith is not wavering. Rather, he is acknowledging the pain of separation from the Father. He is experiencing the real consequences or the effects of our sin, which is separation from God. Separation from God is what Adam and Eve experienced after they fell, after they sinned in the Garden of Eden. You may remember that while they were living in the Garden of Eden, they experienced an intimacy and a fellowship with God Almighty that was unprecedented. And yet after their sin, 
part of their judgment was they were banished from the Garden of Eden where they enjoyed that fellowship and intimacy with God. And now here on the cross, when Jesus bore our sin on himself, he absorbs the full wrath of God and he embraces the consequences of our sin, which is the agonizing separation from the Father. Now, there's no doubt this is not a pretty sight. Which is why God's wrath towards sin is not a popular concept even today. In fact, there are some authors who who claim to be Christians who even suggest that the cross is, is a form of child abuse. So what is going on here? What kind of father is this? Is this a, a cruel trick or even divine child abuse as some want to say? And I would suggest, no, this is simply God's plan, mutually conceived by the Father and the Son from eternity past to save humanity, to redeem us from our own sin. You see, Jesus went to the cross knowingly and willingly out of love for you. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that is his own son, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Why? So that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You know, the abandonment of Jesus makes absolutely no sense unless you begin to understand the holiness of God and the wretchedness of our sin. On the cross, the Father, not as a flaw in His character, but in perfect consistency with His holiness, pours out His wrath on His Son who became sin for us. And yet, the Father did not forsake Jesus absolutely. No, no, He still loves His Son. He never forgot His plan of redemption, which included the resurrection of His Son from the grave. We see also number three, Jesus gave a shout, a triumphant shout, and yielded up His Spirit. Jesus, who had been so silent all throughout His trials, breaks the silence again on the cross here in verse 46, where it says, And Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Now, first, this is simply a way of saying that Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross. When someone dies, what happens? Well, their spirit leaves their body. And second, this is a way of saying, Paul, I mean, Matthew is showing us, it's being communicated to us, that death is the ultimate consequence of our sin. What did the Apostle Paul tell us in Romans 3.23? For the wages of sin is what? It is death, separation from God. And yet Matthew says here that Jesus gave up or yielded up his spirit. And so even at death, imagine this. We see that Jesus is still sovereign over his sufferings. Jesus willingly gave up his life. For you, no one took it from him. Listen, Jesus laid down his life for us out of love. 
He sacrificially laid it down because he loves you and he loves me. John tells us what Jesus said in this triumphant shout. You go to John chapter 19, there in verse 30, John records for us, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In other words, John is telling us that Jesus paid the debt of our sin in full. So now his work on the cross is finished once and for all. As William Barclay writes, Jesus dies a victor with a shout of triumph on his lips. So what happened the day Jesus died on the cross? Let me tell you, it changed the course of history. Jesus bore the wrath of God for our sin. And in doing so, Jesus was cut off from the Father. But make no mistake about it, Jesus did this for a purpose. Jesus did this for a reason. He did it for our redemption. He did it, notice number two here, so that we could be reconciled to God the Father. Matthew records here for us three more supernatural signs that take place immediately following Jesus' death on the cross. Look at them with me once again here in verses 51 through 53. Let's read each of these three in succession. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now again, these signs are pointing us to something. And they're pointing us to the power of the cross. And they are showing us that Jesus' death changes everything. And most of all, that we can now be reconciled to God the Father. Notice these three signs. Look at them briefly with me here. Uh, First of all, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that phrase, top to bottom, is rather significant. It means it wasn't the result of of a mob of people breaking into the temple and tearing the curtain. That would be from bottom to top. No, this was supernatural. In fact, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, indicating that this was God's work. This was God's doing, which the implication here is salvation is not one of humans working their way up to God. Oh no, it is God making a way down for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But what is the actual significance of the curtain itself in the temple? Well, the temple curtain divided the room called the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple area. And this room was incredibly significant, the Holy of Holies. Because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, which represented God's presence to the people of Israel. In fact, only the high priest could enter this room once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice on behalf of God's people for their sins. And even then, it was done with with great fear and trepidation. 
And it was this curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies. And this curtain, nearly 200 feet tall, that kept people away from God's presence, that was torn in two from top to bottom the moment Jesus died. And you may be asking, well, big deal, what does that mean? Oh, it's everything. This tearing of that curtain temple means our separation between God is now ended. It's over. It means we can now be reconciled to God. That curtain cut off sinful people from God's presence in the temple. But now, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, listen, we now have access to a holy God. Because Jesus was cut off from the Father, we can be brought in to the presence of God Almighty. You see, this tearing of the temple curtain, it's also pointing us to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his role now as the new high priest. And so today, for those of us who repent of our sin and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we now can approach God directly. We can approach him confidently and boldly. Hebrews picks up on this. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is about how better Jesus is because he's the once and for all sacrifice for us, doing away with all the temple sacrifices and their need. We read here in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, it says it this way, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us now draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, Jesus has done everything necessary to reconcile us to God. That means we can do nothing more. We cannot add anything to the cross of Jesus Christ and his finished work. We can only receive what Jesus did for us on the cross and do so by faith. And then we have the privilege to enter God's presence with confidence. But there was a second sign as well to all this. We find here... Matthew records that the earth shook and the rocks were split. Why? Well, because the day Jesus died is an earth-shaking event. Before Jesus dies, remember what happened? The earth is covered in darkness. And after Jesus dies, the earth shakes. The earth is telling us that something big is happening here. The sun hides its face and the earth shakes its feet to show us that Jesus' death on the cross changes everything, including the physical realm. Listen, the gospel, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not just a a spiritual solution to our sin problem. It's a comprehensive worldview that includes a new earth that will one day be restored to all its glory. But the crescendo of all this, of these supernatural signs, however, is not that the earth shook and the rocks were split, but rather is that the tombs were opened. 
and many bodies were raised. Now, this is incredible. In fact, i got to admit, it even seems somewhat implausible. But God, once again, is showing us something here. And he is showing us the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, Matthew himself believes in the resurrection of the body. And he can't wait till Easter to tell us about it. And so he places it here to open our eyes to the resurrection power of Jesus' death. Matthew describes these saints' return to life to show that Jesus' death defeats the powers of sin and death. In other words, Jesus' death triggers the resurrection of these believers. And it shows that Jesus' death also wins our resurrection. That's the point of these resurrected people. But again, let's be honest here. I don't know about you, but I know for me, it invites a whole lot of questions. Such as, well, who were these people? And how many people were raised? Who did they talk to? And what did they say? I mean, did they die again or did they ascend into heaven? And there are plenty more questions we could ask of this. But Matthew fails to answer our curiosities. And he does so for a reason. He does so because there is only one point he wants us to know. And that is, Jesus' death crushes the power of death. That's what he wants us to focus on. Not in the sense of answering all the questions that we could, our curiosities have. In fact, Augustine put it this way. Not only is Jesus' death strong enough to split the curtain of the Holy of Holies and so cancel sin, it is also strong enough to open tombs and so cancel death. Sin and death are humanity's two greatest problems, and Jesus' death conquers both. Now, can you imagine standing at Golgotha the day Jesus died on the cross? Can you imagine hearing what Jesus said from the cross? Can you even imagine seeing all these supernatural events happening the day Jesus died? How would you have responded? Well, Matthew tells us the response of three groups of people who actually witnessed what happened the day Jesus died on the cross. Let me briefly share them with you here. The response of these witnesses, first of which, are the Roman soldiers. And these Roman soldiers confessed Jesus as the Son of God. Look what it says in verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. In other words, they were filled with reverence and fear for what they are seeing. And they truly said, or said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, while this might not be a a fully formed confession of saving faith, it is at least, at a minimum, a confession of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. In fact, it's actually the same confession that Peter made by the Holy Spirit at Caesarea Philippi in relation to Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said it this way, The blood of Christ not only wakens dead bodies, but it also wakens sinners' souls. Amen to that. That's what I need. That's what you need. 
And these Roman soldiers needed it too. They come near to God through the blood of Jesus and the power of God. And here's the lesson for us. How these soldiers responded to Jesus is how we should all respond to Jesus. With fear and then faith in Jesus Christ. But Matthew also tells us about some women. He says that many women were at the cross that day who watched Jesus from a distance. Look what Matthew writes about these women in verses 55 and 56. He says there were also many women there looking off from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, since they were women, no one would have perceived them as a political threat. And so they could stay near the cross. They could be there and watch Jesus die on the cross from a distance. But if their lives were not in danger, let me tell you, their spirits were certainly in despair. It must have been terrible, sorrowful to watch Jesus suffer and die on the cross. Matthew names these women, but we know little of their lives. What we do know is that they were faithful women who followed Jesus and ministered to his needs during his three-year ministry. In fact, I I like what one author said about these women. He writes, whereas the, the male disciples feared for their lives and were nowhere to be found, these women followed Jesus all the way to the tomb. That is phenomenal. What courage from these women and how the Bible lifts them up. And then we find the witness of Joseph of Arimathea. And he is a disciple, a follower of Christ who in a sense comes out of hiding and with great courage buried Jesus in a new tomb. Notice what Matthew writes in 57 through 56. It says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now again, Matthew is showing us something here. And he wants us to see that Jesus is actually buried and the tomb was secured. This is important because after many crucifixions, the victims were often just left on the cross or thrown into a trash heap. But Jesus was buried, and a great stone, we are told, was rolled over the entrance of the tomb. Yes, the burial of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, is sad. But we know, oh, do we know from the Scriptures, that this tomb will not and cannot hold Jesus. Matthew is bringing to completion the death of Christ, but he's also setting the stage for us. To what we celebrate next Sunday. He is setting the stage for what will happen on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And so, hallelujah, Jesus' death is not the end. Listen, he will rise again. So, as we bring this down to an applicational point, as we come to our conclusion here, again, the question is still hanging over us. What happened the day Jesus died? 
And the answer again, as we have seen from Matthew here, is that Jesus was cut off so that we could be brought in. And for this reason, listen, the day Jesus died is good news. Yes, Jesus' death is a testimony to our sin, to my sin, to your sin. That is the reason Jesus had to die. He died in our place for our sin. But his death is also a triumph of God's amazing grace for us. Now, I don't know about you, but the day Jesus died, and when you read about his death in the scriptures, it causes two emotions to kind of swell up within me. And that is horror and then hope. You see, in one sense, I am filled with horror at the thought of Jesus' death. Why? Because his death is horrible. And my sin is the reason Jesus died on the cross. Listen, Jesus died in my place to pay the penalty of my sin. And that's why, in a whole nother sense, my heart is also filled with hope. Because his death provides my salvation. Jesus' death means that I now can be forgiven of my sins. And I can be reconciled to God Almighty. And so while Jesus' death is is horrible, the day Jesus died is also good news. Listen, Jesus was cut off from the Father so that we could be reconciled to the Father. So that we could be brought into a relationship with God. And that's the greatest news in the history of the world. Listen, at a time when our city and our country is focused on disease and death from COVID-19, there is no better news than this. Jesus' death ends our separation from the Father, and it wins our resurrection from the dead. The question is, have you responded to Jesus' death on the cross? Listen, his death, it does you no good if you walk away in unbelief. And if that continues to be your choice, and if you would die in your sins this afternoon or tonight, if you would die from COVID-19 without Jesus as your Savior, you will face Jesus as your judge. God forbid that that would happen. Especially knowing that God has made a way He has come down to us through His Son so that we could be reconciled to Him. Listen, His death is the means of your salvation if you will respond in faith, if you will repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your Savior. That is the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection as we will see next Sunday. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment here? I know many of you have already responded to Jesus' death with saving faith. You have humbled yourself. You have confessed your sins to the Lord. You have asked Him to forgive you. And by faith, you have received this wonderful gift of reconciliation. 
with the Father. And you are now part of the redeemed community of God's family. But perhaps you're watching this morning, and there are still some that have yet to do this, and maybe that's you. Maybe this crisis has caused you to look inward in your own heart and to wonder, man, what would happen to me if I would die from this virus? What would happen? I don't know about my security. I don't know about my eternal destiny. Listen, you can settle that once and for all. You can know without a doubt that you are reconciled to God Almighty through the finished work of Jesus Christ with his death on the cross and resurrection. But you must respond to it. You must receive it by faith. You must repent of your sin and ask for the gift of eternal life. And so I want to lead you in a simple prayer that you can cry out to the Father right in your home, right where you're watching this even now. It just goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I repent of my sins by changing my mind about the way I've been living. And by faith, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and receive your gift of salvation. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. I receive you by faith as my Savior and Lord. Make me into the person you want me to be. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. The scriptures tell us you are now a new creation in Christ. And we would love to hear about it. We would love to pray with you, encourage you, and help you in your new spiritual journey. And you can do that by, by just commenting in the section there on the, on the Facebook page. You can reach out to us on our website, wearelifebridge.com. You can contact the church office as well. Let us know so that we can celebrate with you. You know, our mission here at LifeBridge is truly to bridge the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one way that you all can help us is by continuing to give financially in order to continue the mission here at LifeBridge. Your giving, yes, it honors the Lord. Even in desperate times like this, our giving continues to honor Jesus Christ, who, who did so much for us. And it fuels our mission to bridge the gap here in Kansas City and around the world. And, and one of the easiest ways that you can continue to honor the Lord is by giving online. And you can do that at our church, through our church website, wearelifebridge.com. If you don't give online, again, it's easy, it's simple, it's secure, and I encourage you to check it out. Uh, our website explains the process, explains how to do that. You may also mail in your, your giving and uh, mail it to the church here at our physical address where we're located. And, of course, that's always an option that you can continue to do. And once again, church and those who are watching that are not part of our church uh, family, if you have any questions, if you have any needs, please don't hesitate to contact us. We are still here for you. We want to serve you. We want to minister to you. And we want to bless you as a church family the best that we can here at LifeBridge. Until then, stay strong in the Lord. I hope you'll join us again next Sunday, Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ.